number six of Judges chapter two, it says, and when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died being 110 years old. And they buried him um, in the border of the inheritance of Timnaharis in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers and there arose, here we go, another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done in Israel. Let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, thank you for uh, just another opportunity we're able to gather together at your house and uh, sing praises unto you and fellowship with one another, and uh, hear preaching from the Word of God. I pray that as we uh, focus for the next few minutes on the Word of God, I pray that you would remove all distractions uh, from our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. What's happening in this passage is Joshua is now stepping off the scene. He has died, and many of the valiant people that had served under him, the good godly people, hey, they're stepping off the scene. And you know what? It says another generation arose who did not know God, who did not know the works which they had done. And on a regular basis, a regular, very frequent basis from many people actually in our church, I have them come up to me and uh, they got a little burden about something. They have their concerns about young people and young people really sticking with the faith now. They come and they say things like this. They ask me, where are all the young people at? They're like, we're getting older a lot older. We're dying off like dinosaurs. Well, they don't say that. Well, they say we're dying off. Who's going to replace us? Who's going to step up? Who's going to take our place? You know, I'm concerned about the next generation. I get that question all the time. And the truth is, is that people are getting older and the younger people are coming and stepping up. And I know that's a scary thing when you think about everything millennials are doing right now. It's very scary. And there are concerns, but if you feel like the younger generation is falling away from the faith, sadly, it seems statistically wise that it is the case. Here's some t statistics. Uh, the title of the message is uh, Changing the Status Quo. What is the status quo about young people, especially in America today? Well, three out of four young people, supposedly, three out of four young people, after they graduate high school, go to college, and maybe in their young adult years, are going to walk away from the faith, statistically wise. Now, that's not just Baptist. That's a wide variety, a lot of groups that call themselves Christians. And so, uh, but the most conservative number that I could find after doing research, um, many good books out there um, with topics just like this, and after doing a lot of research, the most conservative number I could find, conservative percentage, was 75%. 75% leave. 
25% stay. Now, we haven't yet really experienced, for the most part, are they going to come back when they get later? Maybe, you know, a lot of people want to go and they sow their wild oats, if you would, and eventually God gets a hold of their heart again. And we don't know that. And this, by all means, um, is not a doom and gloom message by any means. And, but after seeing statistics like that, I can't help but think, you know, I got a list of my teenagers that uh, I get to minister to, Heather and I get to minister to, and I look at that list and I think, wow, if 75%, I mean, what names could I just cross off the list? That's a scary thing to really think about, but it's the honest truth. And so the question really is, is why are young people falling away from the faith? Why are they? Here's just a few reasons. Secular education. I think especially all the things that we're seeing in the news today, even uh, just we don't need to list them all, but all the terrible things we see, uh, Dale Sweat, we like to, we chat a little bit sometimes in the booth, even though we shouldn't, uh, but we were talking one time about the things that were going on, and he made an interesting statement. He says, I think we're reaping the product of secular public education in our schools. Very true. I think absolutely 100%. Take God of the picture. Life's not important. No absolutes. What can you think? What can you expect? Another reason might be bitterness at God. Maybe a loved one they had died. Maybe they contracted some sort of illness, some sort of disease. And because of that, they're bitter at God, and so they're walking away from the faith. Another one might be inconsistency from believers. That happens a lot. Believers say one thing, but they do another. Another one might be lack of doctrinal foundation, or um, another one might be hypocrites uh, seeing them. And as I said before, this is not a doom and gloom message by any means. Uh, but the truth is, is a lot of those reasons that I listed right there, we can't do a whole lot to change those ones right there. I do appreciate Gospel Baptist Church. We have a Christian school that's totally combating uh, the secular education that's out there, giving kids in Bonita Springs an option to come and have Christian teachers, have Christian influences, get away from that environment. Sure, that's one step. Um, I appreciate uh, the church having such a heart for youth ministry and for young people. I appreciate the buses going out. It's a wonderful thing that the buses get to go out and pick kids up. You know what? The kids wouldn't get here otherwise. It's a wonderful, awesome thing. The Iwana program, Vacation Bible Camp, really all of those things that we do here, they're really costing us more. We're not getting money back for those things. It's not padding the bank of Gospel Baptist Church. We're literally just investing in there to help combat some of those things that are going on. However, the status quo is that young people in America, they're walking, walking away from the faith. But tonight, tonight, what can you and I do about it to change that? Okay, here is how you and I can encourage the next generation. Number one, we can rejoice. I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to turn to a couple different passages tonight. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3 and verse number 10. I got to say, uh, Dr. Crabb, whenever you, this morning I was sitting back there and you said, Ezra, take your Bibles and turn to Ezra. I thought, oh no. I got a lot of work to do this afternoon. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I cannot believe this. I felt like, you know, the kid at the talent show. I feel like the kid at the talent show who's out there and he's supposed to be, you know, singing and the guy right before him sung the same song as him and did a better job. So I was like, oh no, please no. So your whole message, I was on pins and needles about 
Please don't go to chapter 3. Please don't. Mm. Whatever you do. Some of this background that I'm going to tell you about is exactly some of the same, exactly really the same about what Dr. Crabb was saying this morning um, about the uh, tribe of Judah that had come back. They had been in captivity a total really of 70 years. Babylon came and took them over um, for disobeying the Lord over a long period of time. And Persia had then taken over Babylon, become the superpower of the world. Cyrus the king, it's pretty interesting. God worked in the heart of Cyrus the king to really let the people go. I don't know what king does that. Let's cap, let your captives go. And not only just go, usually what they like to do is spread them out all over the place so they can't regroup and you know go back to war against you. But God miraculously worked in his heart and the tribe of uh, Judah and the tribe of Benjamin were able to return back to Jerusalem and begin, build the temple. It was supernatural. There's no really other way to put it than it was miraculous. As Dr. Crabb, I like the way he said this morning about how if you asked them where they were going to be in five years or ten years, what they would have thought. You know, that's so true. They would have said, I'm going to be in captivity. But God provided a way and preserved really his people and allowed them to come back um, under the leadership of Ezra, uh, Zerubbabel. And so here we come to this passage after they have come back. This is uh, before, obviously, what uh, Dr. Crabb was preaching about this morning, but still in that same context. Ezra chapter 3, here's what was going on, verse number 10 through 12. And it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David the king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving unto thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever towards Israel. And all the people, listen to this part right here, and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice, and many shouted for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. The foundation of the new temple was being laid. Imagine a scene, they come back, literally, Jerusalem had been taken down brick by brick. There's nothing left. Everything is ruins, and they come back to this devastation probably look like Detroit and something like that. And they come back to it, and they got to start from scratch. They go, and obviously one of the things you want to first do is you want to, they wanted to build a temple. They had been all this time without being able to sacrifice unto the Lord God, and it was very important that they had this temple. So they start construction of this new temple. They lay the foundation of it, and of course, you know, they have this big celebration, this big time of giving thanks unto God for what he's going to do. But you know what? This new temple wasn't quite the same as the old one. Think about it like this. How many of you have ever been to Disney? It's very close. It's awesome. I love Disney. It's great. You go to Disneyland. Imagine being a little kid and going to Disney for the first time. Parents get you. I like watching those videos. America's Funniest Home videos where they video the kid finding, you know, oh, we're going to Disney. And they get all excited and they go and it's magical or something like that, and they get to ride the rides and do all the things, and it's, and it's awesome. Now imagine that same kid 
having the most wonderful experience of his life, going back years later to Orlando, right where Disney used to be, and now, instead of Disney, he has found that Gospel Baptist Church is now hosting their Awana Fair there. And you know what? Out on the Awana Fair, we've got Mr. Henthorne. He's making his slushies, and they're good slushies. You know, we got Mr. Motes and Dale Sweat doing the BB guns and the paintball, and we can't, Bill Wolf, where is he here? Bill Wolf, he's doing the toilet paper toss into the thing. And you know what? Although those are fun and those are good things, you know what? It, it doesn't quite add up to what Disneyland is like. And really what was happening here is that's about, to the people, what the difference was between Solomon's temple and this new temple that was being built. Solomon's temple, it was extravagant. Some people may have described it at that time, one of maybe, it may have been described as the eighth wonder of the world. People from all over the place would come to check out what this temple was like because it was something that was out of the ordinary. It was extravagant. It was magnificent. When you looked on it, the thing just shined. It was put together perfectly by King Solomon so many years ago. And when they had that in their mind, now the new temple is being built. And you know what? Compared to that, it's insignificant. It's small. Maybe in dimensions, it's smaller. Definitely in decor and extravagance, it is quite a bit smaller. But what happened in this passage, I think, is that some of the people that had seen the original temple, they were stuck in the good old days. They were stuck in the good old days um, about what it used to be like. Now, everybody, regardless of if you're 20 years old or if you're 80 years old, we all have memories of what good, the good old days used to be. My memories of the good old days are a whole lot different than what yours used to be uh, by, by far. They're, they're a whole lot different. Um, I remember when I was young, growing up Heritage Baptist Temple in Little Rock, Arkansas, one of the things that uh, I just think of, man, those were the good old days, was when we had our missions conferences. And it was just like the biggest thing we did all year was the missions conferences. Had a ton of missionaries. It, we, it was a big themed event every time. And uh, we did things such as uh, a Fishers for Men theme, and everybody would dress up in, like, these fishing outfits. I don't know. We had a good time. Uh, one time we, we had uh, uh, an event where it was called Global Warning, not Global Warming, Global Warning. And everyone in the missionaries, you should have seen the faces when the missionaries came in the first night in hazmat suits. Uh, it kind of scared uh, some of the folks. But you know what? I look back at those, I think, man, those are some good. If I could just get back to the, oh, man, that's when God was really doing something. Heather, we were talking this afternoon about vacation Bible school when she would go. Um, her church did huge vacation Bible schools, very similar to the one we have here. And it's just, you know, like a good memory she used to have. And when we compare sometimes those memories to the, mem to the things that are happening now, we think, oh, man, you know what? It was just a whole lot better back then. And now many of the memories that you and I have, they are good memories, and they need to be shared by, by no way whatsoever am I saying that the good old days that you had should not be shared. By all means, they actually should. I wish we could go around the room and spend time talking about how God has miraculously physically healed some of you, about how he has financially provided. I'm sure we could go around the room and hear story after story, maybe about how God has worked in your family, in your family, in your life, in your church, in miraculous ways. But, and as, as I said, these testimonies are important and they're not bad and they should definitely be shared. Here we go, Psalm 145.4. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it quickly. It says, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Psalm 78.4 says, We will not hide them 
from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. Now this passage in Psalms, specifically that I just read about um, showing them to your children, is, is actually was talking about them coming up, the children of Israel coming up out of Egypt and the miraculous things that God had done to provide a way, provide a way that they could get to Canaan. And it was really amazing. Imagine, imagine being there and imagine being that generation that was able to walk out of Egypt. Imagine seeing God do the 10 plagues right before your eyes. Imagine as Pharaoh's army comes up behind you, Moses holds up the staff and the Red Sea parts in two and you walk across on dry ground. Imagine that. Imagine uh, seeing God provide water for millions of people in the desert from Iraq, maybe walking around the wilderness 40 years, and as the Bible says, their shoes not wearing out. That'd be pretty awesome. Being bitten by a poisonous snake, and then Moses building up a bronze serpent, having it made and looking up to it, being destined for death, but looking up to it and being miraculously healed by God. Those are awesome stories, and they should be shared to the next generation that comes. But, however, that's not exactly what I think was happening in this passage right here. I don't think that that was exactly the attitude that these people were had. Okay, The people who had seen the, in the, seen the first temple, they were so stuck in the past that they could not see, I believe they couldn't see what God was doing right in front of them. And they missed out on it. And they missed out on an opportunity to show the next generation. The best thing about the temple was not that it had big, wonderful, extravagant pillars, that it was bright, it was shiny, that it had gold everywhere. The best thing about the temple was that the presence of God was there. And you know what? When they built this new temple, it wasn't about how great the thing looked. It was about that God's presence was going to be in the temple. You know what these people here? The problem was with their attitude. I like to think about this. We, whenever we go to men's breakfast, sometimes we switch to different restaurants. And I, I vaguely remember this one instance when I open up the menu and, you know, just checking the prices out. And the coffee, it said it was $2. And I thought, man, what a deal, $2. Normally it's $2.50. I said, man, $2, that's great. And you know what? As soon as I got a smile on my face, I had about three old guys put a big old wet blanket right on top of me. I used to pay 50 cents. That's all I used to pay. I'm like, well, good for you. Glad you did. I get my bill at the end. Woo, $8. I kept it under 10. And they're like, I used to pay only three. I'm like, wow. And you know what? Hey, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about not griping about the coffee because griping about stuff, that's what just what old old men do. They like to do that. <laughs> it's true. But but it's not about griping about the coffee. But I'm just showing you that an illustration about what a lot of people do spiritually, whether you're 20 years old or whether you're 100 years old. Referring back to the old times that you can't find any enjoyment in the things right now. How about instead of, instead of oh man, I used to pay 50 cents. How about being glad you got 50 cents off the cup of coffee? And the same thing is true spiritually. Sometimes we think about our old church 
or the old pastor that we used to have many, many, many years ago. In the old times, we used to go out on door to door. In the old times, we used to go out on the bus route. That when we think about the ministries and the opportunities that are available right in front of us right now, we can't find enjoyment in them because we're simply just focusing on the old things. When we focus on the on the um, only on the past goodness of God, it discourages the next generation and others about what God is doing in the present. Present. Imagine the scene that was taking place at this dedication, really, of the foundation of the temple. Imagine what was going on. The younger men, they sit here and they're shouting, yes, yes, we finally have a place to worship. And they're shouting, and apparently they're shouting like they're at a football game, shouting for joy. And you know what? As they're getting exciting, hooping and hollering, about what God's doing right next to him, somebody's crying. And maybe at first they think, is he crying tears of joy? Is he wailing because he's so happy? As you're sitting there saying, yes, this is so great. This is so awesome. Somebody next to you says, oh, this is so terrible. I remember how it used to be. This is nothing compared to what we used to have. And you know what? It's very discouraging, really, to not just the next generation, but everybody around us when we only focus on the old times and we can't find joy regardless of if they're not the same, regardless of if they're not the same. Sure, the new temple was glorious, was not as glorious and not as appealing as the first, but they had a lot to be thankful about, a ton to be thankful. Imagine this, they were no longer captives in a foreign land. That would be great right there. How about you be thankful for that? How about the fact that those people, their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids would not have to be in that, in that uh, pagan envir- environment anymore under that wicked society? That'd be a great reason to be happy. Um, I would say, you know, even the fact that they had the freedom to worship and they could do what they want. Sure, they had some oppression, but man, God was moving them totally in the right direction. But you know what? They couldn't find the happiness in those other things. They were only focused on the thing that wasn't the same as it used to be. The next time we bring up the goodness of God in the past, remember that God is able to do the same great things today and more. The God of the past is the same God of the present, and the same God of the present is the God of the future. Think about the difference it would have made to those other people that were standing around if instead they weren't crying and weeping for sadness because they didn't have it like they used to. Imagine if they would have went over to those younger people, put their arms around them and said, I know we're starting from scratch here. I know it's small, but you know what? God can do great things in Israel like he used to do. He can rebuild the city of Jerusalem better than it used to be before. We can have Solomon's temple again. We can do it. Imagine the difference uh, it would have made in the lives of the people. So the first thing is rejoice in what God is doing today. Not only do we need to rejoice, number two, we need to continue. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not be wearying in well-doing, uh, for in due season we shall reap and faint not. I'm frequently seeking ways and uh, frequently asking other youth directors, youth ministers, um, frequently going uh, and reading blogs and articles and things on the internet to uh, you know, try to better do the best youth ministry that we possibly can at Gospel Baptist Church, seeing what other people have done. Really, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. 
necessarily. Most people that try to reinvent the wheel, they spend their whole life trying to reinvent it only to be back at the beginning of what everybody else was doing. And so the number one piece of advice that I get from other youth directors and that I get from all the other things I read is that for youth ministry is be real and be consistent. Those two things, be real and be consistent. Why teenagers and young people and young adults, they can smell a fake from a mile away. They can, absolutely. Many have walked away from the faith because a good Christian they knew they knew or admired stopped serving God. Continue. Continue. What are some areas that we should continue in so we can set a good example? How about your walk with God? The next generation is definitely watching you. Your grandchildren, your children, regardless of how old they are, they're watching you. They're trying to see what you're doing. How's your walk with God? Is it everything that it should be, everything that it used to be, everything that it could be? I think about as a, as a, a young little boy, I remember uh, my mom got saved. I think she was about th- I was about three years old when she got saved. And I frequently, on a regular basis, I remember waking up in the morning, going and running in. I'm, you know, I'm hungry. Running into mom's room, want her to, get a, want her to make me something to eat. Got a million reasons why I got to interrupt her. And I bust into her room. And you know what? I stop right away because my mom's kneeling down on the edge of the bed. And she's praying. And she's got her Bible open. Wow, what wonderful memories. She even had a hymn book. Now, she was one of those hymn book thieves. <laughs> I wonder how many hymn books from Gospel Baptist Church we have just scattered around here at people's homes. I don't know. She was a hymn book thief. She stole a hymn book. I think we still got it somewhere. But she would open up that hymn book. She sang out of tune. She would just sing, and she would have her time, time with God. And you know what? For my entire time that I was in high I was a little kid all the way into high school, you know what? I didn't have the proper relationship with God that I should. I really didn't have any relationship. But because of my mom's personal walk with God, I knew it was possible. And you know what? Maybe maybe your kids, maybe your grandkids today, maybe they're not doing everything that what they're supposed to be. But maybe by your example and my example, they can say, you know what? It's possible. Many years later on down the road, it paid off for me. I thank my mom just the other day that she would do that. Encourage her. Continue. Keep doing that. Keep up your walk with God. If she had given up her walk with God, it would have failed. I may have failed uh, to see that it was possible. Uh, the second thing, hey, what should we continue is continue honoring God in your home. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. You've heard this many times before. And it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou... Uh, walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. How important is God in the home? It's super important. It's the best thing that you could possibly do outside of your personal walk with God. Pastor Moon and I, I appreciate Pastor Moon uh, being here, and I've, I've, it's just been a plethora of information that I've been able to gather from him, being in youth ministry for 15 years, or maybe even a little bit more, about 15 years here at Gospel Baptist Church. Hey, He's seen a lot, and I can get a whole lot of information from him. And him and I talk frequently about youth ministry and about the next generation. And just the other day, we were talking about young, how important the Christian home is 
in raising a young person and really in the Christian young person's life. And he began to think of all the people that had come through as kids or teenagers at Gospel Baptist Church. Think about those and what they're doing today. And you know what? All, almost the majority, I would say, of the young people that had Christian a Christian influence in the home are doing well and they're serving the Lord today. But you know what? Out of the ones that their parent, they did not have a Christian influence, maybe their parents weren't even Christians whatsoever, very few are serving the Lord today. Here's what we narrowed it down to just the other day. There's only two people since the time he's been here. There's only two young people that are still serving the Lord today that did not have Christian homes that came from the bus route, came to youth ministry, came to one of those things. One of them, he's a young man. He still comes. I think he rides Doc's bus. He still comes, sits, uh, sits here on Sunday mornings. And there's also one other young lady. Um, I believe she goes to uh, uh, Gunnery Road Baptist Church or something like that. But of all the other ones, you know what? They're not serving the Lord to our knowledge that we know of. How important is the Christian home? It's very important. It's extremely important. One of the number one reasons young people leave the faith is because of inconsistencies in the home. I'll share this with you briefly. Recently, there was a friend that I had, and he, his parents were getting a divorce, are getting a divorce, whatever, and they had been good Christians, faithful to church ever since he was a young boy. And you know what? Now they're splitting up, can't talk any sense into the mom, can't talk any sense into the dad. And you know what? The young man, he's sitting there and thinking, what about all those things you used to tell me? What about how you used to tell me the person you marry is the person you stay with the rest of your life? What about, hey, be faithful no matter what. Even if it's hard, stick it out. You know what? I'm not sure if that young person will make it. It's such a, it's, it was so detrimental to him. I don't know. It's very important that we honor God in the home. And the last thing here is uh, serving, serving in the church. We should continue serving in the, in the church. Um, super important. Um, same thing, I was talking with somebody in Little Rock um, on the phone just the other day, and we were talking about the bus ministry. He had the biggest bus ministry in the church. He was pulling in 50, 60 kids. We'd go into the slums of Little Rock, pull his big green bus in there. We had them all painted different colors, and pull it in there. And he would consistently bring 50, 60 kids. We often did a, a bus trophy that we would bring uh, to, we'd have at the church. And of course, after a few months or so, they would take the bus trophy and give it to the bus captain who had the biggest route. And consistently, this person would rent the biggest bus, biggest bus, biggest bus. Well, you know what? An opportunity came up and he could start working on Saturdays. And so instead of going out and visiting his bus kids, he dropped that. And began, you know what, I'll make a little bit more money. I'll start working on Saturdays. Drop the bus route. I wonder about all those kids. And really, here we go. He dropped out of that. And not long later, he's not even faithful to church anymore. Imagine all those bus kids, 50, 60 bus kids who looked up to that and said, oh, brother so-and-so, how you doing? Seen him week after week. And then you know what? Not there anymore. I mean, if hey, if brother so-and-so, if he can't do it, what makes you think I can do it? It happens every day. People who used to serve the Lord aren't serving the Lord anymore. I wonder if, if God could somehow supernaturally show us how it negatively impacted those kids. I bet that person wouldn't, wouldn't trade that bus route for all the money in the world. Guarantee it. 
You see, many people, they've promoted church attendance, church ministries, faithfulness their whole lives, but are not involved or faithful anymore. We can spend our entire lives gaining credibility, but lose it really right when the finish line is in sight. Ecclesiastes 7.8 says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. If you're discouraged today and you say, I don't know how I can continue. I've been just continuing for a long time. I don't know how I can do it any longer. Well, think about what Hebrews 12.2 says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before, before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When you get discouraged, you think, I can't continue in my personal walk anymore. Just not one, one more day. I can't continue honoring God in my home. I can't continue serving in what God has given me to do. You know what? Look to Jesus. Hey, it'll all be worth it someday. I guarantee it. And that brings us really, that goes right in line with the last thing, the third thing here, is we should rejoice in what God's doing today. We should continue in what God has given us to do. And lastly, number three is invest. Invest. Matthew 6, 19 through 20 says, you've read this verse as well many times, 6, 19 through 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also invest. When we think of that word, we think of money. We often always think of money. Many of us, we think of the stock market, investing in the stock market, maybe in buying a home, uh, maybe in savings accounts, that sort of thing. But when investing, everybody wants a high return. Nobody wants to put money in and, I, you know, put money in and, Nowadays, even in saving accounts, you know, I've had money in there for three years in one account. It's just some change that it's accumulated. And everybody wants a high return. We don't want to get a little bit back. And it feels good. It feels good to get a high return. Just recently, uh, I put some money into an IRA. And from my taxes, I was able to get money back. And I actually got 35% back from my taxes from just putting that money in the IRA. And I thought, man, this feels good. This is awesome. A high return, it's great. And between all of us, we could all probably in here, especially um, many lifetimes that we have in here, we could talk about people who have had, had some bad investments, have put money in, put a lot of time in certain things only to have them go belly up. But you know what? I'm here to tell you tonight, and I can assure you that when you invest in spiritual things, hey, there's a very high return. You know what? A lot of people, they don't invest. Do you know why in the things of this earth they don't invest? Because there's an initial cost, number one. Number two is because there's always a fear of losing what you got. It is somewhat sometimes of a gamble, no matter putting money in the stock market, whatever it might be, it's, it's still somewhat of a gamble. But you know what? With the things of God, it's no gamble. It's exactly 100% a guarantee. Revelation 22.12 says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as he as his work shall be. I never, I never have met anybody who has regretted spiritual investment. I've never met anybody, but you know what? I've met a whole lot of people who've regretted not investing in the things of God. D.L. Moody, he said this about the next generation. It's pretty interesting. After his whole life in ministry, here's what he said. He said, if I could relive my life I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. 
He devoted all to reaching the next generation. On a different occasion, he went and he said, he, after a big meeting, uh, somebody asked him, hey, how'd it go, Brother, Brother Moody? And he said, oh, it was great. We had two and a half people saved. And the guy said, really? You had, you had two men and one, one kid? And he goes, no, I had two kids and one adult saved. Because the kid had the rest of his life to live for God. You know what? The adult only had a, short, had, a, had a small amount of his life left. You know what? He saw the importance at the end of his life, how important it was to invest in the next generation. Why? Why should we invest in the next generation? Uh, Mr. K, where is he at? Mr. K, you said this today in bus meeting, and I had to stick it in here. I went home and stuck it in here because it's just too good. Great. It was a fabulous bus meeting this morning. You miss out. If you don't go to bus meeting, man, you miss out. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Mr. Knott, he shows up. Even if you're not driving a bus, he shows up every week. And he shows up. It's great. It's wonderful. Gets me jump-started for the day. Also, gives me a little right here. Uh, he said, why should we invest in the next generation? Here's the one I, I, I stole from him. It was because the devil is investing in the next generation. Whoa, that's a big reason. He quoted this verse this morning, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. When you think about all the devil is doing to get the next generation, what are you doing to get the next generation for God? Sometimes I get weary and I get discouraged about going door to door, being honest with you. I don't always look forward to going door to door. But you know what? Not this last time, but the time before I went out. You know what encouraged me? I saw some JWs out there. I say, what do you mean I encourage you? Well, I thought the devil's out there doing his work, spreading his false lies, his false doctrine. You know what? I'm going to be out here doing it. The devil's out there trying to get people every single day. What about you? What about me? Are we trying to go out and trying to win the next generation? Or are we just going to let the devil have all the return on it? Investing is not just for church leaders, Sunday school teachers, Awana workers. It's for the businessman. It's for the average person, the common guy. It's for the successful person. It's even for the failure. Every single person can invest in the next generation. You're sitting here and you say, well, I can't ride the bus anymore. I'm not physically able. That may be true. You may be saying, well, uh, I'm here and I can't run around the Awana mat and chase those little kids anymore. Well, you know what? That may be true. I can't keep up with the teenagers. I don't even know their lingo. I can't even understand what they're saying most of the time. That may be true, but there is something that each and every one of us can do. A few things. We can pray. A.W. Tozer said, to desire revival and at the same time neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. You know what? As we look at millennials coming and and slowly but surely, their kindness stepping on the scene. And you know what? Us millennials, we're bad people. We're bad people. But you know what? If you only talk about how bad it is, but you never do anything about it, you never go to the throne room of grace and plead it before God, you know what? Really, there's not a whole lot to talk about or complain about. If you complain about it, but there's no action. We can all pray. And we can also, many of us, we can teach or mentor, I thank God for the people who invested in me. I think I'm thankful for my principal who took time out of his day. He'd come out and play basketball with us just for a few moments. Slowly but surely, he would be investing his time, sharing some spiritual thoughts here or there, almost without me even knowing. 
You know what? If you would have sat me down across the table and said, let's have a 30-minute Bible study about the doctrines of the faith, I would have said, no thanks. But you know what? Because someone took the time and simply casually invested in my life, it totally flipped it around. And I'm not sure where I'd be today had not some of those people invested in me. Where would you be had people not invested in you? The least we can do is return it to the next generation. It's not difficult to invest in the next generation. It just takes someone who is willing to sacrifice a little. Just put in a little bit. If you're thinking about investing, hey, when should you start? You talk to any business person, they say, oh, invest now, invest now, invest now. It's a good time to invest. Sometimes the stock market's not good, and you say, oh, I'm going to hold off, wait till a better time. But you know what? Spiritually wise, now is the time. There is no better time than the present. As Pastor Moon said in bus meeting today, the fields are white unto harvest. They're ready right now. Now is the time to invest. I'm going to close with this last little illustration. Um, while I was running some errands, I met a guy who had an illness, and he was very concerned about it, possibly could even face death from it. As we began to talk, he began to say that he was going down for an operation, and you know he was nervous, regardless of how big or small it was. He was nervous that he wasn't going to make it. And I jokingly said, oh, ha, ha, you know, oh, you know what, if you don't, you'll just, you'll wake up in heaven and you, you'll just be happier there. And almost a look of horror came on his face. And he said, I'm not ready to go. Not that he wasn't saved, but he said, you know what, I want to be a better father to my kids. He said, I want to be faithful to church again. I want to serve God in some way. I don't want to face God the way I'm facing now. Why was he so upset? It was because he hadn't invested in the things of God. He didn't have a high return coming on the other end. One day, you and I are going to see God face to face. We're going to have that meeting. It can be a happy meeting and a joyful meeting, or it can be like that brother who was a little nervous about if he would meet the Lord. Today, I encourage all of us to rejoice in what God's doing now. I encourage us to continue in the things that God has given us. And hey, if you're not doing, if you're not a part of anything, hey, invest. Invest in a young generation, in the generation to come. Hey, there is a high return. Let's pray and we'll be finished. Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you that we're able to look into your word this evening. We pray for uh, the next generation uh, that's coming up. We pray that you would uh, continue to work in their hearts. We pray that you would give us opportunities, even this week, that we'd be able to have a part in changing the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, why don't you do it right now? It's simple, really. Here's a couple of Bible verses that'll help you to understand. Probably the most well-known verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse says, whosoever believeth. The whosoever is you. But the whosoever believes what? Number one, you need to understand that you are a sinner. God says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, you need to understand that nothing that you can do, getting baptized, belonging to a church, going to a church, donating money, while all good things, they will not satisfy a just God. God says in Titus 3.5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved us. 
And number three, you need to understand that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day. And if you believe that, God promised in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Your prayer of confession could go like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner unworthy of your mercy, but ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. I know I can't get to heaven on my own, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day that I might be saved and have a new life. Save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you ask Jesus to save you, would you do me a favor? Let us know so that we can pray for you and rejoice with you. Our church phone is 239-947-1285. The website is www.gospelbaptistchurch.com or go to iTunes podcast at gospelbaptistchurch.com.